Life is like a journey. Life is like a story. Where will your journey finish? How will your story end? The Bible takes us on an epic journey from brokenness and death to restoration and life. It describes the story of a king of an amazing kingdom who gives his life to save ours. We'll see how the story of the Bible can be our story. How its journey can be our journey. I'm on the journey of eternity. I'm on the journey of forever. This is the first day of the rest of our lives, and God has given us an opportunity to make a difference in the few weeks and months that we have here. Why don't you turn your Bibles, if you would, please, to the 23rd chapter of Luke, Luke 23. I have had the privilege of engaging and working with your leadership team. It has been exciting to see. Over the years, I've known Bill, Pastor Bill, as a genuine servant, the authentic, caring pastor. I mean, you touch the heartbeat of that man, he cares for the sheep, he cares for the Lord, he cares what happens to the life of this church family. I think of Dale and Josh and your eldership, I've talked with many of them for hours on end over the months, and to see God at work, this last week, uh, the CEO from Denver came in and we spent time, hours with your leadership team and prayed and cared and spent time uh, looking for the next steps and where God has for you. And it's an exciting harvest. You're on the journey. A journey of making a light. Hundreds of kids yesterday. Uh, maybe down the way, hundreds of teens and families coming to Christ and people discovering the life of the journey of faith. In the Luke 23... We see the season that these next eight days are going to talk about. More people talk about the life, death, and resurrection of Christ in the next eight days than any eight days in the calendar. More people will be discussing Easter and resurrection. In fact, the last seven days of Jesus' life take up about one-third of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Most people don't realize it when you think of those four books talking about the life and the journey of Jesus, one-third of those books deal with seven days. The seven days we're now living. 30%, Matthew was written primarily to the Jews. Jews were interested in Bible prophecy, and that's why you see all the begats in the early part, that Jesus was a fulfillment of 1,500 years of the line of David. Jesus was the fulfillment of coming into the world in the fullness of time. And there are dozens and dozens of Bible prophecies that are recorded in the book of Matthew that says, thus fulfilled the prophet saying. He'd be born in the city of Bethlehem. The word Bethlehem means city of bread. Manna, the living manna, Jesus would be born. It was predicted in Micah 5, 2, 400 years prior. So we see Bible prophecy. The book of Mark is concise. It's 16 chapters written to the book of Romans. The Roman world was primarily get to the point. Luke is chronology. It's about history. It's the longest. 
He's a physician, sees detail that the other writers don't see, don't talk about. John is written primarily to the Greeks. Alexander the Greek, 300 B.C., was conquering the whole known world. They set up Greek-speaking cities like they're still with us. Alexandria in Egypt and Alexandria in different cities around the Mediterranean. Established by Alexander the Great. By the time you get to the life of Christ, the book, uh, the New Testament is written in the common Greek. It was a trade language 300 years before Christ, preparing the world for the coming of Jesus. God was not willing his son would come into the world unannounced. The whole Jewish nation for 2,000 years had a mission, prepare the world for the coming of the Messiah. All of the Old Testament prophets pointing to the Christ of Christmas. God was not willing that his son would come into the world unannounced. The Greek-speaking language, 100 years before Christ, the Romans conquered, and the Romans gave us roads. To this day, the Appian Way still exists. Don't you wish that Pennsylvania could build roads that 2,000 years later would still be here? We can't do that in Ohio either. <laughs> Notice something. God is preparing the world for the coming of Christ of Christmas, and when the Wise men brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They brought gold for a king. Frankincense for a priest. It was an incense, expensive. And, and it would be like the prayers of people. As the incense went up, representing the prayers of God's people. But myrrh was a burial ointment. They understood that Jesus had a mission that the Son of God would be a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the world. All of the Old Testament was held in captivity called paradise waiting for the fulfillment of the prophets when Jesus would say, it is finished, paid in full. I sense in these passages, we see where every human being living and breathing under God's canopy of heaven comes to a critical crossroads on their journey on one of the other side of the cross, either for him or against him. All of creation, Jesus said, if you're not with me, you're against me. There's only two destinies that the Bible talks about, with God and without him. That's why Jesus came to be a lifeline. He's not just another do social do-good to heal the sick. He did. Raise up the dead. He did. Stop funerals. What a remarkable deal. Empty hospitals. Feed the poor. But his greatest mission that eclipses everything else was to save us from our sins so we could have everlasting life. It is on Sunday this day, 2,000 years ago or so, called Palm Sunday. Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem where he's hailed as the king of the Jews, the Messiah of God. It panicked the religious leaders. On Monday, he's cleansing the temple. On Tuesday, he's leading to controversies with the Jewish folks who came to Jesus. They were concerned about religious power, religious... Uh, they had their own political systems and they robed themselves in righteousness and they looked down condescending on people and they came to the edges of Jesus' lessons not to learn the will of God for their lives but they came to snare Jesus and they went away with their feet in their own traps. They would hail him, crucify him, crucify him, give us Barabbas. Notice thing, they have this season here where the controversies, he is in the Last Supper on Thursday, preparing for the Passover, the evening that night when Judas would betray him. The longest day of his earthly ministry is known as Good Friday. It's great for us. It's not so good for him. 
he would be eternally good for us. Trials before the Sanhedrin. Herod, Pilate take place on Friday. Saturday, Jesus is in the, his body is in the tomb. His spirit is declaring to those in captivity. Abraham, your deception's been paid for. David, your adultery's forgiven, paid in full. All the way down the line, declaring to those in captivity that the sin debt of the Old Testament, see the sin of the lamb's blood was just a credit card. It was laying back the sin. The sins of the lamb laid year after year were like a credit card waiting for the lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. On Sunday, he would raise from the dead to give us a picture portrait of our resurrection life as well. He could be touched by thousands. I had somebody say a while back, wouldn't it great? 500 people saw Jesus after the resurrection. I waited until after everybody had gone out, and I said, sir, it was 500 people at one time. He was here for 40 days. Thousands upon thousands ate with him, touched him, hugged with him, talked with him. In fact, there were so many thousands of people who had touched the resurrection. They looked at the Roman Empire and said, you can't threaten me with heaven. They marched on their knees, and the Roman Empire went into the dustbin of history, and the church still stands and shines. COVID will come and go, and the church will still stand. Skeptics and naysayers will come and go, and the church will still shine and make a difference to a lost world. On Sunday, he raised from the dead. When I think of the three crosses of Calvary, the cross of Christ stands preeminent. His resurrection would not only change B.C. to A.D., his resurrection would change human history and our destiny. Max Lucado says, we come to Calvary, where a Savior died and salvation was born. We come to Calvary, where God prayed and a mob cursed. We come to Calvary in a deep darkness that enveloped the earth, that the hearts of men might be filled with divine light. We come this morning to the Mount of Calvary, where Christ was rejected of men, that we might be accepted of God. We come to Calvary, where the proud Jews stumbled and the arrogant and grief scoffed. We come to Calvary where the power of God is displayed in a wounded warrior. We come to Calvary today where every one of us must come. If we wish to be forgiven and saved, the way of the cross leads home. In Luke 23, we see this gospel account, Jesus on the cross in his final moments. On either side of him are a pair of thieves who've done some wicked deeds. In the contrast between the two of them, is Christ, who had fed the poor, healed the sick, had loved the unlovely, forgive the unforgivable, and even looks over bloodied feet and says, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. We are never more like Jesus than when we're giving and forgiving. Giving time, treasure, and talent, we're like Jesus. Forgiving the unforgivable will never draw close to the heart of God until we learn to forgive. When I've received grace... I'll extend grace. When I've received mercy and I've experienced mercy, I become an extension of mercy. People have a hard time extending mercy and grace if they've never really received it. People can sing about amazing grace. They can talk about grace. But you'll know that they're living in grace when they become some of the most forgiving, graceful, loving people that look like Jesus. Bitterness is gone. I encourage you to experience this year the Christ of Christmas. I, Christ of Easter, every Christmas leads to an Easter. I encourage you to experience the resurrection hope. He resurrected our, our dust and is going to give us heaven. He can resurrect this week. 
Now, some of the versions here say Golgotha or the place of the skull. They were crucified along with the criminals right and his left on either side of him. Now, notice in verse 39. Then one of the criminals who were hanging blamed, blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. Some version says blaspheme. Some says curse. Some said he swore, uh, hurled insults. The bottom line is, he's on the cross observing what would become the greatest single symbol in the annals of time. In all of world history, no other symbol is better recognized than the cross of Christ. When you see the red cross coming, they know that food and medicine and help is on the way. Around the world and every continent, the cross is recognized. But on one side of the cross of Christ is the cross of rebellion. Man hurling insults. His dying breath. He's lived a self-absorbed life. He's on the cross of rebellion to a hopeless end. If you write three things down, I want you to write these three crosses. The cross of repentance is dying in sin to a hopeless end. That's where the vast majority of America is living this morning. Trying to live and pretend as if they're their own God. I'll write my own Bible. I'll make my own rules. I'll write my own songs. I did it my way. Well, the man that's saying, I did it my way, both of those guys are in a tomb and their caskets and the cross of Christ and the purpose of Christ is still living. I love to hear guys like Frank Sinatra sing. I got a great voice. But when he died, they put a pack of Winston's and a flask of whiskey in his coat and they buried him. I did it my way. Well, he could do it for a while. But what about eternity? On one side of Jesus is this cross of rebellion dying in his sin to a hopeless end. Romans 3.23 says it clearly that all of us at some time, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. How is it that a holy God who sees beyond my shallow facade can love this clod he made out of sod? I need God's help. Say that with me. I need God's help. Romans 6.23 says that sin deserves death. We're the enemies of the cross of Christ. And Romans 5.8 says God demonstrated his love for you and me in that when we were ungodly, he still died for us. Why do some folks insist on living as if there's no God? Well, they say, I believe in God, but their lives are practical atheists. No God in their calendar, no God in their pocket, their exchange, a coin life, no in their gifts and talents, they pretend they're their own. And then they come down to the last few moments of life and do what's really important. I've been a lot of folks in their last few moments. You know what? I've never seen anybody say, Russell, can you check the stock market? I want to see how my stocks are doing. I've never heard anybody say, hey, how about the Ohio State Bucks? Did they win today? Last few minutes of life? No. Their relationship to Jesus and those people going to heaven with them and every single thing else is dust in the wind. This man was dying in his sin on the cross of rebellion to a hopeless end. I think this leads to the cross of rebellion is a place of denial, delusion, despair. Denying that there's a God. Our culture, take God out of school. Take him out of creation. If you take God, I had to, the superintendent of public schools come into my office, Larry Burchess, and said, I've got a, a pretty a dilemma here. 
I'm a Methodist with my children in a Catholic school, and I'm a superintendent of the public schools, and I don't want my children in the schools that I lead. I said, Larry, what, what's happened? He said, there's no respect. They don't respect their parents. They don't respect teachers. You can't teach where there's no respect. I said, Larry, you've taught kids that they came from animals for 50 years, and now they're acting like animals, and you have a problem with that. You've taught them that there is no God. If they're not respectful of God and their parents, they're not going to respect your teachers. We can't build prisons quick enough to keep up with godlessness. Godless education, less of God, take him out of creation. Teach them that they're one more brick in the wall. We don't need no education. I had some friends that used to listen to some of that music. Pink Floyd, by the way, for some of you grandparents here. What happened? We taught folks that, that they came up. You go into a history books and they've taken every shred of God, godly heritage from our nation out of the textbooks. Author of the year for Merrill Publishing, Richard Smith, a chemistry textbook for American high schools, had the highest selling chemistry textbook in American high school, Richard Smith. His wife worked for me about 10 years. He said, Russell, every time I put the words into the chemistry textbook, I'll write in, crafted in nature created, or designed in the universe, or engineering in the atmosphere. Whenever I talk about those, they take those words out because it suggests intelligent design. In the face of evidence, in the face of facts, they choose fables that windstorms in the cosmos can create eyesight. I don't believe that any more than a windstorm going through a junkyard can build a 747 Boeing jet. I've got one more design in that finger that has DNA code, blood that travels from here through my heart and alveoli exchange, the great exchange of toxins for oxygen that keeps that finger from having gangrene. 5,000 heat sensors that make sure it's 98.6 here and 98.6 down there. What a wonderful accident of nature. No. Crafted, created, robotics. It's repeatable, it's observable, it fits a scientific model. Our world is living in denial that there's a God and they forgot where they came from, they don't know where they're going to, and the, ple the days in between get all messed up. Denial, delusion, despair. More suicide in our culture today. It's estimated that one in 200 will attempt. Did this funeral yesterday for a 38-year-old man who took his life. I've known his family, I've known his wife for 30 years, since she was a little girl playing with my little girl. Their daughter, Lily, played with our grandchildren. Oh, he loved to fish, he had a smile on his face, but he had private pain. He was hurting. His daughter said, I'll teach you about Jesus. And, and he looked up and, one day and said, would you teach me about Jesus? I need to know about Jesus. Today, Lily doesn't have a dad that she had this time last week because a man of despair lost his way in darkness. And I think a lot of people are just hurting and wounded and confused and delusional. Our culture is in suicide watch, dying on the installment plan through drugs and abuse. We forgot where we came from. We forgot where we're going to. And the days in between get all messed up. The man on the cross was in denial, 
He abused, he hurled insults. If you're the Christ, save yourself and us. Please note there's another cross. That's the cross of repentance. A man dying to his sin to an endless hope. An everlasting hope. He understood that life is short. Death is certain. He clearly saw that sin is the cause and that Christ could be the cure. He said, look at these words in but the other answered, rebuking him, saying, do you not even fear God? There's humility that leads to honesty, that leads to hope. Seeing you're under the same condemnation, and we indeed justly are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. He knew, nothing about, he knew something about Jesus. He's done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He knew something about the kingdom of God. Maybe he'd heard the teachings. Was that the feeding of the 5,000 or the raising of Lazarus? He knew some things about Jesus that were pretty specific. When you come into your kingdom beyond the grave, remember me, please. Jesus turned to him and said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. All of his sins forgotten, all of his deeds of dirty done. Uh, did he deserve heaven? No. The balances of justice don't weigh out in this life because the grace of God is greater than my disgrace. God's grace greater than my disgrace. Say that with me. God's grace greater than my disgrace. The thief is on the, the cross of repentance dying to his sin and a hopeless end. He's admitting, he's being honest. Now I want to say that he knew that he only had a few more breaths, a few more hours. I did a funeral yesterday for a 38-year-old man that has a daughter to raise, and we're trying our best to work with her to get her into some really good counseling with mom. But I want to tell you something. You and I have only a few more days and months left. What will we do with the days we have between now and when God calls us home? The days of this life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. I'm telling you, Pastor Bill and his team are sold out and surrendered to helping people discover hope and help kids go to heaven with their grandmas and grandpas. Could this be a destination place where the worst, the least, the last, and the lonely can know that there's a God that's not given up? I'm more than a bundle of flesh and bones making my way from the cradle to the grave. God gave me a thumbprint. He gave me a celestial breath, a day to enjoy, eyes that see. Here's, and God wants me to share eternity with him. The one who created wants to recreate, resurrect, and share an everlasting always. One of the most repeated comments I say to my six grandchildren, I'm looking forward to going to heaven with you. I'm looking forward to going to heaven with you because there's coming a day, and it may be soon for some of us, it can't be too long for any of us. I'm looking forward to going to heaven with you. I want that to be on their compass. I want them to be on their focus. That regardless of what happens in this world, God has an eternity for those who turn to him and discover amazing grace. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. This thief on the cross knew he's dying. his dying breath, judgment weighed in the balances. He's beyond denial. He's beyond delusions. He wanted to be beyond despair, and he cries out, remember me, and receives amazing grace in that moment. The three crosses of Calvary, the cross of rebellion, a man dying in his sin to a hopeless end. The cross of repentance, 
a man dying to his sin, to an endless hope. Because Christ is in the center, dying for our sins. Christ is in the heart of our future. And I believe today that you can be beyond malign priorities and a malignant future. You can find a living God and a loving Savior. Jesus has not given up. Donald Barnhouse writes it this way. My sin and selfish rebellion make it clear that I deserved hell. On the cross, Jesus took my hell. Because I've accepted amazing grace and received his pardon, there's nothing left for me but his heaven. You see, at the foot of the cross, I seek forgiveness. In the shadow of the cross, I dedicate myself to serve. In the glory of the cross, I shall rise to live eternally. First Peter says, I want you to realize this. He says, you have not been redeemed with perishable things, but imperishable. You've been redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of the lamb that was without blemish or defect. You have been redeemed through him who believed in you and raised Jesus from the dead. Every single person in Pennsylvania can come to the cross and be rescued. I'm reminded of an older lady by the name of, she was a remarkable, Tony Belk, she was remarkably a nurse that had helped many people, but she was struck with a stroke that took half of her body. Half of her body was completely immobilized. I don't know what had happened, but the nurses said, Russell, she's not had a visitor, a minister, a family member in three weeks, and she's not spoken to any of us. Not one word. She's acting as if she's in a catatonic state and she doesn't need to. She still can, she can't move half her body, but she's depressed, discouraged, and we think she's lost the thrive to, to, to live. Little did they know she was storing up her medication and she was contemplating how to kill herself. I found out later. I went the first week, I introduced myself, read some scripture, talked with her. She never said a word. I prayed with her and then left. The next week, the same. The third week, I came in and I read John 14. In my father's house are many mansions, but I go to prepare a place for you. Tony, he goes to prepare a place for you. The first words I heard Tony Belk say. When I read the words, I go to prepare a place for you, she said. Preacher, I wish I could believe that. I took her by the hand. And I began to talk about how God created and crafted us with meaning and purpose. And that God wants us to share eternity with him and send his son. Over the next few weeks we talked. Tony Belk began to share life. And we would baptize her. We put her in a plastic chair. She's crippled. And we put four of us, dropped her into the baptistry at Elizabeth Christian Church. And she came up out of that water a new woman. I went back a couple weeks later to Pioneer Trace Nursing Home. I looked wherever she was and... She's not in a room. I said, what's happened to Tony? She said, Russell, with one arm she has that's good. She's in a wheelchair going room to room throughout this facility looking for coherent people that need hope. Looking for coherent people that need hope. The hunger for hope is escalating. Our world is discovering we can't trust the government to save us. The American medic medical, thank God for them, but they can't heal us ultimately. School, thank God I married my high school history teacher. I married sisters. I'm thankful for the teachers that are in my life that did something worthwhile. But you know what? 
education without Christ cannot rescue us. That's why God left the church. That's why the lifeline of the cross, the mission of this place, is to seek and save the lost. Tony Belk was going up and down the hallways. Five people would be baptized in the weeks that followed because of Tony Belk's testimony. They allowed us to use the therapeutic tub in that place for future baptisms. Now, I want to say, there are people up and down the street where you live, coherent people, in private pain, brushing up the veneer, dressing up the outside, smiling at the soccer games, they're living with private pain that need hope, that need love, that need forgiveness, that need grace, that need acceptance. Can this be that place? There is no place anywhere near this place quite like this place. This could be a grace place to help restore people's hope, to help refresh people's lives. Across the street from us lived a man named Jim. Jim was an accountant. I didn't know that at this time. He just dressed in a trench coat and he leaned forward and he was in his 70s. And he looked a little strange. He walked all the time, everywhere. And, and I thought, Babs, we've got a little son out here in the front yard. So pay attention when you see him out there. I don't know what that man's about. It's sort of a little weird here. Knocked on my door by the name of little lady, Grace Hines. Gracie said, I'm, I used to work with a man for 40 years. And he's never been in church that I know of. And he's an agnostic. And he lives down the street from you, Russell. About three houses. His name is Jim Whalen. I said, the guy that wears the overcoat that walks... Yep, that's him. I've been praying for him. He's been in my heart. Babs and I would take some food at Thanksgiving down to he and his wife. And we'd share and talk. And we started talking occasionally. And over the weeks to come, he had lots of questions. All kinds of Bible questions. One day on my door, he knocks at the office of the church and he said, I don't know if you do this or not, but um, I'd like to be baptized today if it's all right. We baptized Jim. I got the custodians. I got all the secretaries, got whoever we could gather, and we had a baptizing. A few weeks later, God called him home. Did he earn it? No. Did he deserve it? No. But Christ paid that. When you see the plus sign of the cross, know that the sin debt is paid in full. The word is Ted Lostai. When Jesus said... It is finished. That is an accounting term. Paid in full. The debt is covered. The ledger's done. My sin is paid for in full. What sins are you talking about? He says he'll not only forgive them, he forgets them. Your in-laws may remember your past sins. God doesn't. Had a wife and husband came in my office for counseling one time. And... The man said, Russell, she remembers everything I've ever done in 20 years bad. Everything. Sometimes she gets historical. I mean, you mean hysterical. No, historical. She just starts recounting, goes back to the end and changes this thing for the next 20 minutes. All the bad things I've ever done and buries me in all my bad stuff. Now, I want to tell you. God's grace is greater. The only way the home survives is when people learn to forgive. And when God has forgiven it, why in the world, if it's under the blood of Christ, why are you trying to bring it out from under the blood to expose it again? The Bible says Satan is the accuser of the brethren. God says, I paid your sins in full and at the cross. Satan says, well, I'll only forgive some sins. Some sins are worse. I'm telling you, he says he paid it all in full. David, your murdering ways are forgiven. Abraham... 
your deceptions have been forgiven. To the church family here, to husbands and wives, God's grace should flow through this place when you touch folks' forgiveness and love and mercy. Make this to be a celebration place because on the cross of rebellion are where people die in their sins. On the cross of repentance, we die to our sins for an endless hope. I want you, if you would, to bow your heads this morning. I want you to bow your heads where you're at. And I want you to thank God for those lifelines of hope that God sent to you. A mother, a father, a grandparent. I want you, if you would, to thank God for those who shined light into a dark path. That wrote the note, made the phone call, invited you to church, encouraged your faith. Ask God to help you to become a lifeline. This Easter, beyond spectating a world going to a Christless eternity, God help us to become lifelines. And God, we just see this morning clearly all of history on one of two sides of the cross. Thank you for those with an endless hope that are in this room. But God, may we never ignore those in despair that need love and a lifeline. May there be people discovering hope in this place. May the impact church make an impact for eternity. God, I pray this would be a church family that welcomes the last, the least, the lonely, the wounded, the broken. We love you, God. Be with us in this journey. Thank you that eternity is our course because of Christ. In his name we pray, amen.